0: Well, if we could, with the Lord's help and the Lord's enabling, (coughs) if we could turn back to that portion of scripture that we read, the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 16. And I'd like us just to look at one proverb this evening, and it's the proverb in verse 6. Proverbs 16 at verse 6. For Solomon writes, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Now I think it's safe to say that words are important. And words are important because they communicate to us what's going on in our lives. Words express our feelings. Words describe our situations. Words convey our mood. Words reveal our opinions. Words are important and how we use words are important. Because we can use our words to encourage people or discourage people. We can use our words to... Defend or condemn. We can use our words to love or hate. We can use our words to, well, we can use our words wisely or foolishly. Words are important. And you know, when we come to the book of Proverbs, we see how important words are. Because the book of Proverbs is a book written by Solomon and it's full of wise words. And when you read this book, and I'd encourage you to read it, it's a wonderful book. But when you read this book, you realize how important words are and how powerful words are. Because the book of Proverbs, it's just a collection of wise words that are used to teach wisdom. Solomon wants us to be wise. He wants us to possess through wisdom. But as you know, wisdom isn't knowledge. Because knowledge can exist without wisdom. Someone can be knowledgeable Without being wise. And according to Solomon. True wisdom is the ability to to discern between right and wrong. Between good and evil. Righteousness and sin. True wisdom is seeking to live your life. In a manner that is pleasing to God. By keeping his commandments. And upholding his covenant. And you know that's how Solomon actually introduces his book. Uh, on the book of Proverbs, he writes in chapter one. He say he introduces it. He says, "The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king in Israel." And then he says, "To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and and increase in learning." And to the one who understands, obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their bridles. Then he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so for Solomon, words are important because words convey wisdom and understanding. But what I'd like us to see from this one verse hidden in the book of Proverbs. What I want us to see is that this verse is a golden verse. And it's a golden verse because it contains the greatest wisdom. And it expresses to us the beauty of our gospel. And in this golden verse, there are only eight words. There are eight Hebrew words in verse 6. And each word teaches us how important, how important, well there's three things it teaches us teaches us about the covenant, the cross, and the Christian. So each word is important in this verse. And they teach us about the covenant, the cross, and the Christian. So if we look first of all at the covenant. Look again at this one verse. Verse 6. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. And as we said, words are important. And the first two words in this golden verse are the words by steadfast love and faithfulness. And although there are a few words in English, there are actually only two words in Hebrew. Steadfast love and faithfulness. And those two words, they are there to remind us of God's covenant promise. They are covenantal words. And the word steadfast love, it refers to God's covenant promise love towards his people that God has graciously and mercifully acted towards us not because of our merited righteousness holiness or goodness but God has acted towards us solely because of his great love towards us and you know this is what the the Lord often reminded the people of Israel he reminded them even in Deuteronomy chapter 7 The Lord reminded his people that he saved them. And he delivered them from bondage and slavery in Egypt. Not because they were greater than anyone else. Not because they were more important than anyone else. He saved them simply because he loved them. And you know I love what we're told in Deuteronomy 7. It just says the Lord did not set his love upon you. Or choose you because you were greater than any other people. The Lord set his love on you. Because the Lord loved you. The Lord set his love on you. Because the Lord loved you. And you know this is our great hope and assurance as a Christian tonight. That the Lord has chosen us and he loves us. Not because of who we are or what we've done as a Christian. But the Lord has set his covenant love upon us. Just because he loves us. It wasn't anything to do with us. Or our upbringing. Or our family. Or our knowledge of the Bible. Or even our church attendance. The Lord loves us because he has chosen to love us. And the Lord loves us and cherishes us with an everlasting love. In fact, it's not only an everlasting love. It's an eternal love. It's a love. Let me make it personal. It's a love that knew you. And chose you. And cared for you before the world began. That's how beautiful God's love is for you. That you were known to him. That you were loved by him with his covenant love. And you were known to him and loved by him and chosen by him. Before he had even spoken into the darkness. And said let there be light. And this is the wonder of our salvation. That in the realms of eternity... Before the world was. God the Father and God the Son. They entered into this great covenant of redemption. And that covenant it was signed and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Where you could say God the Father. He chose us and he loved us as fallen sinners. God the Son. He was willing to die for us as fallen sinners. And God the Holy Spirit. He was willing to dwell within us as fallen sinners. And this is the beauty of the gospel. That even in the realms of eternity, your name was known to God. And you were part of his great plan and covenant of redemption through which he would bless his people. And what's amazing is that despite our unfaithfulness to the Lord, the Lord remained faithful to his covenant of redemption. And that's what these two opening covenantal words emphasize. They emphasize God's steadfast covenant love. And his faithfulness towards his covenant. And you know this is something we have to remember. That God in his love and out of his own good pleasure. He chose to make this covenant. This binding promise. And the wonder of it is. That the Lord sought to do something. In order that there was nothing that could break this covenant. The Lord sought to redeem a people to himself. Regardless of how wayward they could be. And the wonder of it all is that the Lord graciously bound himself to the covenant. He bound himself to his people. And he promised to fulfill his covenant promise with steadfast love and faithfulness. And so what we're reminded here is that the God of the Bible is a covenant making and a covenant keeping God. He is faithful to his people and he is faithful to his promises. And you know, whatever you may be going through tonight, whatever is in your cup, whatever's in your experience, you can be assured by God's covenant that you are valuable to him, not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. You are valuable to the Lord, not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. And the truth is, by his covenant, you belong to him. He has covenanted himself to you, which means that he will never cast you off, he'll never leave you, and he'll never forsake you. And you can have assurance tonight because the Lord has bound himself to you with his steadfast love and faithfulness. And that's where our assurance is tonight. That's where our hope of salvation is. Our hope of salvation is in the heart of God's covenant promise. Because there's nothing we can do to make God love us any more than he already does. And there's nothing we can do to make him love us any less. And through our faith in Jesus Christ we're part of this covenant covenant of redemption. Not because of anything we've done or anything we've achieved, but solely according to His abundant grace. But you know what's remarkable is that God's steadfast love and faithfulness—it was not only a promise; it was also a passion. And you know this is what I love about the Bible. You know I, I love studying the Bible. It's a great privilege. But what I love about the Bible is that these two important words, steadfast love and faithfulness, they're repeated throughout the Bible as God's promise of salvation. God's promise that he's going to save his people from their sins. But they're not only the promise of salvation, they also refer to God's portion of salvation. Because when we come into the New Testament, these two words, steadfast love and faithfulness, they're translated, as we've mentioned before, they're translated as grace and truth. And we see that when the Apostle John writes his gospel. One of the first things that he says about God's covenant promise, he says this covenant promise, it has been revealed in person. The eternal word of God, he says, has become flesh and it has dwelt among us. And in Jesus Christ, he says, we have beheld the glory of God's covenant, which is full of grace and truth. Full of steadfast love and faithfulness. You know, it's wonderful. But you know what makes the Bible such a beautiful book to read and to meditate upon? Is that Jesus is not only the person of the covenant promise. He's also the purpose of the covenant promise. The Apostle Paul later reminds us. That God has demonstrated his covenant. He has demonstrated his steadfast love and faithfulness in this way. And he says that whilst we were still sinners. Whilst we were still strangers to grace and to God. Whilst we were still in the far country. Still prodigal. Still without hope in this world. Still enemies of the cross. Whilst we were still Strangers to grace and to God, God demonstrated his love towards us in that Christ died for us. It's wonderful. And you know, I don't know if you noticed in Psalm 85, but that's what we were just singing about. We were singing about the promise, the person, and the purpose of the covenant. In Psalm 85, we sang that at the cross. Truth met with mercy. And righteousness and peace kissed mutually. At the cross. Faithfulness met with steadfast love. And righteousness and peace kissed mutually. At the cross. The promise. The passion And the purpose of God's covenant. It all came together. As Jesus bore our sins. In his own body. On the tree. And so when we come to this proverb, we see words are important. And words are precious. And these words especially, steadfast love and faithfulness. And they're important. these words are important and they're precious because they remind us about the covenant. And they remind us about a covenant that was revealed at the cross. And that's what we'll see secondly. So the covenant, the cross. So, secondly, the cross. Read this verse again. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. So, as we've said, words are important. And having described God's covenant of redemption with the first two words, steadfast love and faithfulness, Solomon now describes the cross of redemption with the next two words, iniquity is atoned for. So, it's iniquity And atonement. And in these two words. Iniquity and atonement. We're given the reason for the cross. And the remedy of the cross. We're given the problem of sin. And the provision of a saviour. And with the word iniquity. Solomon highlights the reason for the cross. Because well iniquity is just another word. For sin. But you know. Having spent time thinking about this. In a sense. Iniquity is not just another word for sin. Because in the Bible there are three words that are used to describe sin. There's transgression, iniquity and sin. And these three words describe different aspects and different actions of our sin. And each of them gives to us the reason for the cross. Because transgression transgression is the outward act of wrongdoing that's premeditated. Transgression is the active desire to have our own way. It's a desire to do what we want to do. Transgression begins with I, I want, I need, I will have. Transgression revolves around self and it involves making a deliberate act of disobedience. And transgression, it gives to us the illustration of, of walking across or stepping over a boundary line. Which God has set in his word. And when we commit an act of of trespass. We're entering into a forbidden territory. We're crossing the forbidden boundary line. Transgression is the outward act of, of wrongdoing. But iniquity. Iniquity is the inward act of wrongdoing. Iniquity means perverseness or crookedness. And iniquity it comes from the heart. It goes deeper than transgression. Transgression is the outward act of, of crossing the boundary line of God's word. But iniquity is the inward, inward reality that there's a crookedness and a perverseness in the human heart. And the biblical, biblical diagnosis of our heart, as you know, it's, is that it's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Our hearts are full of iniquity. They're twisted, bent, And perverted. And you know. Jesus knew that iniquity would be a problem for us. Because transgression. Well that's the boundary line. That everyone can see us crossing. Everyone can see us crossing. The boundary line when we transgress. But iniquity. That's a boundary that. No one can see us crossing. Except for God. And our heart is something. Jesus says we need to watch. Jesus warns us that out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These, says Jesus, are what defile a person. And when you combine outward transgression and inward iniquity, you have sin. And sin means to miss the mark. It's the image of the arrow being fired and it dips below the target. It misses the mark. And that's what sin is. It's to fall short of the standard that God has set in his word. It's to fall short of God's glory both inwardly and outwardly. And so the Bible tells us that the reason for the cross is simply because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The reason for the cross is our transgression, iniquity and sin. The reason for the cross is because God is of purer eye than to behold iniquity. And to look upon sin. God hates sin. He can't look upon sin. And our sin deserves God's wrath and punishment. My friend the reason for the cross. Is because our sin deserves the fires of hell. And you know is that not what the psalmist was reminding us in Psalm 130. He asked the question. Lord who shall stand. If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquity. And what he was saying was that. Lord, if you were to mark down and take note. And keep a record of all my transgressions, iniquities and sins. I could never withstand your righteous judgment. I wouldn't be able to defend myself against your accurate description of my heart. I couldn't endure the wrath and hell that my sin deserves. Lord, who shall stand? If thou, O Lord, shouldst mark iniquity. But this is the wonder of this golden verse. That he says, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. By the promise of the covenant, there is a provision in the cross. And what Solomon is affirming to us here is that in these two words, iniquity and atonement, we're given the reason for the cross and the remedy for the cross. We're given the problem of sin and the provision of a saviour. Because the problem of sin is that God is of purer eye than to behold iniquity. And to look upon sin. God cannot look upon sin. And because of this, we need the provision of a saviour. We need someone to cover our iniquity. We need someone to avert the wrath of God and hide our sin from God's face. And that's what the word atonement means. It means to cover. To cover our sin. And what's interesting. What's interesting about this word. Is that the only other time. That this, the form of this word. Is really used in the Bible. Is in Leviticus chapter 16 and 17. And those two chapters. Leviticus 16 and 17. They present to us. The most important day. In Israel's calendar. The day of atonement. Leviticus 16, and you should read it, it's a wonderful chapter. Leviticus 16, it describes to us the actions of Aaron, the high priest, and the duties that he had to perform once a year in order to make atonement for his people. And Leviticus 16, it's, it's a great chapter to meditate and to read upon. We, we don't have time to go into it this evening, but we're told there in Leviticus 16 that on the day of atonement, The priest shall make atonement. To cleanse the people. That they may be clean from all their sins. Before the Lord. Before the eyes of the Lord. And then when you go into Leviticus chapter 17. That chapter reminds us that atonement can only be made. By the shedding of blood. The Lord said in Leviticus 17. It is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. It is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And my friend, that's how iniquity is atoned for. That's how the wrath of God is averted. It's covered by precious blood. And that's the remedy of the cross. Because when we look at the cross, we see a crucified Christ. And we realize that without the shedding of his blood, there's no forgiveness. Without the shedding of of his precious blood. There is no atonement. There is no mercy. There is no reconciliation with God. There is no peace with God. There is no redemption. Because as Peter reminds us. We are redeemed not with corruptible things. Such as silver and gold. But only by the precious blood of Christ. And so my friend. The reason for the cross. It was all our transgression. Our iniquity and our sin. But the remedy of the cross was the blood of Jesus Christ. And you know, if any of the apostles understood this wonderful concept, it was the apostle John. When you read his first letter to the churches, John assures us that it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. And then he says we should have confidence because of the blood. That if we confess our sins God will be faithful to his covenant and because he was just at the cross in condemning his own son he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But then when you go on in John's first letter John went on to write about the reason for the cross and the remedy of the cross because he says in chapter 3 "Herein is love not that we loved God but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here in his love. This is love. Not that we loved God. But that he loved us with his covenant, love and faithfulness. And he fulfilled his covenant, John says. By sending his own son to be the propitiation for our sins. To be the atoning sacrifice. For our sins. To cover our sins. By his own blood. And to avert the wrath of God. That's what the word propitiation means. It means to cover our sin. And to remove the wrath of God. That's how we can be forgiven. Our sins are covered by blood. And the wrath of God. Is removed. He is the propitiation for our sins. And he did it all. At the cross. He did it all. At the cross. And you know, it doesn't matter how many times I come and consider the cross of Jesus Christ. Every time I do, I always have in my mind the words of that famous hymn. You'll know it. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a saviour. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a saviour. Guilty, vile and helpless we. Spotless lamb of God was he. Full redemption can it be. Hallelujah, what a saviour. Then he goes on to say, lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah, what a saviour. When he comes our glorious king. To his kingdom us to bring. Then I knew the song we'll sing. Hallelujah, what a saviour. It's it's wonderful to see that words are important. And the words of this golden verse remind us that through the promise of the covenant, there was the provision of the cross. Through the promise of the covenant, there was the provision of the cross. But then lastly, and more briefly, there is the purpose of the Christian. The covenant, the cross, and the Christian. The covenant, the cross, and the Christian. Solomon says, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. So words are important. And having used only eight words, eight Hebrew words, Solomon has described, first of all, the promise of the covenant, steadfast love and faithfulness. He's explained the provision of the cross, iniquity, And atonement. But in the last four Hebrew words. Solomon reminds us of the purpose of the Christian. Because the purpose of the Christian. Is to fear the Lord. And to turn away from evil. And that's what we have to see. Is that. One one will result in the other. By fearing the Lord he says. The result will be that we turn away from evil. So by fearing the Lord, we will turn away from evil. And he says that's the purpose of the Christian. Now, as we said earlier, Solomon introduced his book of Proverbs to us with the statement. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And what we see throughout the book of Proverbs when you read it. Is that Solomon continually or repeatedly explains what it means to fear the Lord. Because Solomon says that the fear of the Lord is not only the beginning of wisdom. He says it is wisdom. He says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. He says another time the fear of the Lord prolongs our days. The fear of the Lord is strong confidence in the Lord. Solomon says the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. The fear of the Lord is great treasure. The fear of the Lord leads to life. The fear of the Lord is riches and honor And life. And you know when you read. This verse in that context. You realize how precious it is. By steadfast love and faithfulness. Iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord. One turns away from evil. By the fear of the Lord. One turns away from evil. But what does it mean to fear the Lord? Well to fear the Lord. Is to submit to the authority of the Lord. It's to have Jesus Christ as Lord. Lord over every area of our life. To fear the Lord is to live in a, in submission to Jesus and live in obedience to his word. And you know that's what David reminds us in Psalm 19. We'll sing it shortly. But when David considered the wonder of God's word in Psalm 19, he used all these different terms to describe God's word. He described God's word as his law, his testimony, his statutes, his commandments, his fear and his judgments. And he says, I'm sure you'll know it yourself from verse 7. God's law is perfect and converts the soul and sin that lies. God's testimony is most sure and makes the simple wise. The statutes of the Lord are right and do rejoice the heart. The Lord's commands are pure and doth light to the eyes impart. Then he says, unspotted is the fear of God and doth endure forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And what David teaches us in Psalm 19 is that to fear the Lord is to live in submission to Jesus Christ and live in obedience to his word. And by fearing the Lord... Solomon's emphasizing to us that we're not to pick and choose which parts of the Bible that we want to adhere to and and just leave the other parts. No, to fear the Lord is to have the Lord over every area of your life. Jesus is Lord over every area and you're submitting to the authority and you're being obedient to the authority of God's word. My friend, to fear the Lord is to say as David did about God's word. Yea, more than gold, yea, much fine gold, to be desired are, than honey, honey from the comb that droppeth sweeter far. To fear the Lord is to put the Lord first, and to live under his submission and his authority. And what Solomon reminds us here is that the purpose of the Christian is that by the fear of the Lord, by submitting to the authority of God's word, we will turn away from evil. And you know, we're often told that Jesus is our example to follow. The Bible tells us that we're to imitate and mirror our lives on the life and con- conduct of Jesus. So Jesus is to be our example. But he's also our example of what it means to fear the Lord. Because you know, when Isaiah spoke prophetically about the birth of Jesus he said in Isaiah 11 the spirit of the Lord shall be upon me the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and you know if there was anyone who feared the Lord it was Jesus if there was anyone who lived in obedience to God's word and submitted to the will of his father it was Jesus If there was anyone who upheld the promise of the covenant, it was Jesus. If there was anyone who fulfilled the provision of the cross, it was Jesus. If there was anyone who set out the purpose of the Christian life, it was Jesus. Because Jesus feared the Lord. He was obedient in life. And he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so the purpose of the Christian, our purpose... Is to fear the Lord so that we will turn away from evil. That we will keep walking the narrow path that leads to life. And you know with Spurgeon, he very helpfully put it simply for us. He said to fear the Lord is to love, worship and serve the Lord. To fear the Lord is to love, worship and serve the Lord. And so, as Christians, our response to the covenant and the cross is to love, worship, and serve the Lord. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Words are important, and the words of this golden verse, if I can call it that, they're important because they remind us about the covenant, the cross, and the Christian. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, help us to be like David, that when he spoke about thy word, that he said, yea, more than gold, yea, much fine gold, that we would see thy word as one that is precious, That it is a word that is living and active. That it speaks into every situation in our lives. That it is able to address us. And as we read it day by day. Help us to see that it is a word that is reading us day by day. And that we O Lord would be conformed more and more to thy word. That we would submit to its authority. And realize that every promise in thy word is to us. Yea and Amen in Christ. It is sealed by thy spirit that we might read thy word and see the beauty of the cross and be reminded daily that he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And Lord, we give thanks to thee that thou art the one who gives us guidance and even how to live as a Christian. Help us, we pray, to, to take up our cross daily and to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, to emulate this Christ who showed and who lived out the fear of the Lord, where he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Lord, keep us, we ask thee. Bless our time together this evening. And Lord, that thou wouldst go with us. Keep us in the week, the rest of the week that lies ahead, that whatever is before us, that we would have the greatest assurance. As the psalmist reminds us that behind before thou hast beset and laid on me thine hand, all such knowledge is too strange for me. Too high to understand. Keep us Lord we pray. And go before us. For Jesus sake. Amen. Well we'll bring our service to a conclusion. By singing those words of Psalm 19. Psalm 19 in the Scottish Psalter. Page 223. Psalm 19 we're singing from verse 7. Down to the verse marked 10. God's law is perfect and converts the soul in sin that lies. God's testimony is more sure and makes the simple wise. Down to the verse marked 10. To God's praise.